You know, there's an, there's an old French proverb that says a good meal ought to start with hunger. And I think that's deeply profound, isn't it? A good meal ought to start with hunger. Because if you think about it, if you're not particularly hungry and somebody puts a plate of food in front of you, even if it's perhaps some of your favorite things or, or a gourmet five-star meal, if you're not very hungry, you're likely to be unmoved by that plate in front of you. Of course, if you're hungry, it's a very different story. If you're bordering on, on being starved, then anything becomes a feast. You know, years ago, I, uh, I was involved in a short-term mission uh, into Angola, which is two countries north of South Africa. And in order to get there, uh, we drove in a truck uh, and had a whole bunch of stuff in the back. We were heading off to go and work on a farm to go clear bushveldts and trees, basically to create a bush runway for one of the Christian organizations that would be flying into the region. And in order to drive there and to take all our equipment, we had to go through two border crossings, two country border crossings to get there. And so uh, we took food with us. But because space was a premium, we certainly couldn't take any fresh food. We had no vegetables. We had no fruit. Uh, all the food was either in a box or in a tin. So that meant, you know, we had meat in a tin. Uh, we had long-life milk. And, and a lot of people have no clue what long-life milk is. Uh, you know, long-life milk is milk, as it sounds, that has a long life. You know, when you go to the store now and you pick up that carton of milk and you check the expiry date, normally it's kind of like maybe within a week, maybe two weeks, and then you know, i got to finish this. Long-life milk, that expiry date is like six months. So I'm not even sure they can use the word milk on that, but that's, that's what we took. Uh, we were eating like ramen noodles. We were eating spam. Uh, we had this, this product, which... If I think about it, I don't even understand why we took it, but it's a soy-based ground beef. So it's not ground beef. It's the soy-based product that you have in a box, and you, you put water with it, and then you boil it for a little while, and, and if you use your imagination, you've got ground beef. So, so this is how we were living in this mission trip, and, and this is a bunch of students working hard, cutting down trees, clearing bushveld. We're famished, and this is what we're living off. So you can imagine the one night in the middle of that trip when the local missionary and the family that were on the farm, they invited us back to their house. We had been camping out in the felt. They invited us back to their house, and they had made homemade pizza with Coke. That was the best pizza I've ever had in my life. There is no New York pizza that comes close to that homemade pizza. Why? Because we were hungry. You know, when, when you're hungry, when you're desperate, that's when you experience something truly remarkable. And, and I, I love that image. I love that idea of hunger. I, I, I'm pretty sure none of us have really ever truly experienced starvation. You know, I, I, know, I have no doubt many of us have used those words, I'm famished or I'm starved. What's to eat? Uh, but most of us have no idea what true starvation is really like. 
You know, when you're starving, when you're, you're desperate, when you're craving, that's when people do extreme things. Because of that hunger, because of that desperation. When we're hungry, we, we sacrifice, we, we go and we do. And sometimes we even do foolish things simply because of our hunger. You know, there's this classic story in Genesis chapter 25 where uh, Esau returns home and Esau had been out hunting and, and he gets back home and he's starved and he's, he's hungry, he's, he's famished and he sees his brother Jacob has made some, some stew, a, a red lentil stew, which doesn't particularly sound appealing, but I, you know, I'm not going to judge right now, but he gets back and he's starved and his brothers made the stew. And so he, he pleads with him, give me some of that stew or else I might die. And he's so hungry and he's so desperate that ultimately he gives up his birthright. As the older, the firstborn son, he gives up his birthright to his brother because he's hungry. People will do all sorts of things when they're truly hungry when they're truly desperate, when they're craving. Last week, we began a new series here at Whitefield Baptist. The series is simply titled Taste and See. And it's taken straight out of Psalm 34. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. And of course, the focus that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks in this idea of taste and see is this idea that God is good, that God has this incredible life for us, that, that He longs to pour His blessing over us. But we don't ever truly or, or we seldom truly experience it because we're not desperate. We're not hungry for the things of God and for God. And God continues to invite us to, to experience that hunger, to thirst for Him, so that He can fulfill it. In fact, God makes it plainly clear. He created us for a relationship with Him. And we have this void. We have this gap within our lives that is unfulfilled until it is fulfilled with God. And we might try and fill it with all sorts of things never truly experiencing that filling. So taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, last week when Pastor Jennifer began this, she used the illustration from the Scripture that there will come a day in the future when we celebrate together with our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus uses this image of a wedding feast and that at this wedding feast there is all sorts of, of glorious food. And I love Jennifer's vulnerability last week of reminding us that she's a vegetarian. And so the image of meat and wine doesn't truly appeal to her. You know, I'm pretty sure that feast will have some vegetables for Jennifer. But there will be meat. There will be wine. And I have to remind us that when Jesus uses that image, it's a metaphor. You have to remember that when Jesus is speaking those words, he's speaking to a people and to a community where food is not easy to come by, especially rich, choice food, meat and, and vegetables that have been cooked with herbs and spices and all those things. And so Jesus uses this image that would capture people's hearts and minds. 
especially people who are living off the land, who don't often get to go to those kind of smorgasbords. And so, yes, you and I might struggle with that image because we can just stroll out to the the grocery store and get food from every continent available to us. We can go out to a restaurant buffet and, and gorge ourselves on all sorts of food. So Jesus uses this metaphor. And I wonder what metaphor he would use with us today to picture that, that glorious position with Jesus, celebrating and feasting. But for me, I quite like that food image. And so I'm going to stick with that. So let me ask you then, if we're talking about taste and see that the Lord is good, my simple question to you is, how is your spiritual appetite? How is your spiritual appetite? You know, when Jesus uh, preaches in Matthew chapter 5 and preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with what we've called the Beatitudes. And one of the early Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus simply says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So let me ask again, how is your spiritual appetite? Do you have a genuine hunger and a genuine thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God? My friends, you need to know this is what the pastoral team are praying for each and every one of you, that you would experience a spiritual hunger, a thirst for the things of God and for what He has in store. when, When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, it's interesting if you have a look at the Greek And and don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with language lessons right now. Uh, But normally, when we find the Greek words for hunger and thirst, normally both within Scripture and outside of Scripture, normally the Greek words for hunger and thirst are in the genitive case. Now, I know all of you are suddenly going, ah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Uh, For those of you like me who had to look that up, Uh, The genitive case simply refers to possession. Uh, Don't get hung up on on a language lesson right now because when we talk about cases, the English language actually largely ignores cases. Uh, Many other languages use them, but English doesn't really spend a great deal of time about them. But but genitive case simply refers to possession. And And it refers to possession only partly. So how might I explain this? Well, I spoke about the cookies that will be in the activity hall afterwards, so let me use those as the illustration. If I'm not particularly hungry or thirsty, and I stroll past the table of cookies in the activity hall, I'm unlikely to take many. I might politely take one because somebody's got the plates in my face and wants me to take You know, so, okay, I'll politely take one and and I'll eat it while I'm drinking my coffee. But I'm not desperately hungry for it. I'm not actively looking for the cookies. That's the genitive case. It's possession, but, but it's not an outright. And so often when we read of hunger and thirst, it's it's that there's a sense of it. 
And I love that idea because I think that idea actually reflects so many of our spiritual journeys. We're, we're happy to dabble a little bit. We're happy to occasionally come to church. You know, the, the church attendance statistics always interest me, obviously, because I'm in ministry. You know, years ago or a couple of decades ago, when people spoke about being a regular at church, what they meant is that's the church I go to every week. And, and I, the only reason I'm not at church is because either I'm sick or I'm traveling or something like that, but that's the church I go to. Nowadays, people will go to church once every two to three months, and they will proudly declare, that's my church. You know, now I'm not knocking when you go to church. I'm glad you actually go to church, to be honest. But that's that image. I don't have a hunger for it, so I'm okay going now and again. I'm okay maybe reading my Bible once or twice. I'm okay maybe praying, you know, just before dinner or something like that. I'm not super hungry. I'm not thirsty. I'm not so desperate for the presence of God that I'm going to give everything I've got. I'm just simply going to dabble. But why the language lesson? Well, because when Jesus uses hunger and thirst in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, he doesn't use the genitive case. He uses the accusative case. And again, I had to remind myself what that meant. Accusative case within the Greek means taking the entire, being consumed with needing the whole. It's not just a little part. It's not just a little tidbit. It's craving the entire thing. And so seeing as we're using food, let me use a food illustration for this. As a South African, one of the dishes that is pretty common and popular in South Africa is a dish known as a bunny chow. Now, don't worry, no bunnies are harmed in the making of the chow. But a bunny chow is a loaf of bread that has been hollowed out and then filled with curry. So like a, my, my bunny of choice is a hot mutton curry a tender, slow-cooked mutton curry in this loaf of bread, and the, the crust is kind of holding it together, and it's just slowly soaking in that curry sauce. And, and, and of course, it's kind of dribbling over and dribbling down the side, and you've got the bread that was inside, and you're using that to kind of like sop it up, and it's, it is amazing. And unfortunately, I still haven't found a place here that makes money, Charles. But let me tell you something. When I have my bunny chow, I ain't sharing that with no one. That is mine. You want a bunny chow? You're welcome to have your own. That is mine. I am going to savor this, and I am going to enjoy this, no matter how put off you are by all that bread, and I'm going to love it. That's what Jesus says. It's not just coming along and taking a little piece it's savoring and enjoying and craving and wanting the whole bunny chow. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not with a small little dabbling, not with just a little bit of, okay, I'm just going to have a little bit. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst with such a desire that they want the whole. 
They're not satisfied until they get the whole. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You know, and, and, and I spoke about that dabbling. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. It's not to simply stroll into the presence of God occasionally, perhaps uttering a prayer when we're desperate, maybe occasionally reading a passage of Scripture so that we can check it off and go, I've done my duty. No, Jesus is inviting us to experience the fullness that He has, to have the whole. Now, of course, we sort of ask, okay, the whole what? Well, that's what Jesus answers. Blessed are those who have an all-consuming hunger and a seemingly insatiable thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who crave righteousness. And righteousness simply means to be right with God. To be in the right and to do right. Blessed are those who want to be in right standing with God and who want to do the right thing. Who experience personally and practically the holiness of God. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so when Jesus is saying that, he's saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Who hunger and thirst for the power of God. It's that man or woman who who has that vacuum within them. And they start to try and fill it with everything imaginable. And they discover that these things they're filling it with do nothing. They don't satisfy. They don't satiate. This is what frustrates me about eating. I can sit down to, to a gourmet meal and I can savor it and I can enjoy it and I can get up from the table going, I could not possibly have another bite. And then a few hours later, I'm scratching through the kitchen for food because it, 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 I'm hungry again. And so we fill our lives with all these things and Jesus says, there is only one thing that truly satisfies and it is the presence of God alone. It is a relationship With God. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 42 As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And Jesus says, That's the desire that's blessed, that's the desire that is filled. It's that individual who wants to, who is desperate to go and meet with God. When last did you wake up in the morning and your first thought was, you know what I need today? I'm desperate to go and meet with God. And Jesus says, that's where we should be. That's the life. That's the craving that is filled. The psalmist elsewhere in Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Isn't that a powerful statement? I don't know about you, but there are definitely some days when I desire many things in this earth. Jesus says, blessed are those who can say, you, God, are all that I need and want. This earth, this life has nothing in comparison to that. And Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones who are blessed. 
Those are the ones who experience that presence and that blessing of God. Uh, now we might kind of ask, okay, how do I develop that? How, how do I grow in that hunger and that thirst? Surely there is something I can do. Well, yes, there is. The first thing we do is we pray. You know, so often we, we might, and I know I've been there as well, I kind of get to that point and go, I don't know if I'm really hungry. I don't know if I'm really desperate. And so I pray, God, create in me that hunger. Create in me that thirst. Pray and ask God to stir your heart. And then as you pray, spend time in God's Word. Spend time listening to His voice. Remember the, the, the Word of God, our Scriptures, the written Word points us to the living Word. And when we spend time in the Word, that's when we get to know. It's a little bit like a young man who has fallen in love. And he has this girlfriend. And so he keeps a photo of his girlfriend in his wallet. And every now and then he might open his wallet and he might look at that photo. The photo is nothing. All the photo does is reminds him of his love. And he might gaze upon it. But he doesn't marry the photograph. He marries his love. This is the Word of God. It's that picture of God. And we open it. We spend time. We look upon His face. We gaze upon Him as we read His love letter to us. And it fills us with the desire to get to know Him more. Spend time in the Word of God. You know, when I talk about Scripture, I found this quote by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson says, When we find ourselves deficient in wisdom, it's not because the Word of God has pages missing, but because we have not seen all there is on the pages we already have. It's not another book we need, but better attention to the book we have. It's not more knowledge we require, but better vision to see what has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. How do I create that hunger and thirst? Well, as I pray, so I read God's Word. And I discover what He says to me. I discover what He calls me in. But not only do I pray and read, how do I create that hunger and thirst? I desire spending time in the house of God. I desire spending time with other believers, worshiping, being encouraged together. You know, in Psalm 84, the psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now, don't mishear me. Yes, you can meet with God anywhere. You really can. Now, I'm looking forward to the summer series that we're going to be going through, uh, which is looking at the different ways that we come to God and the different places we experience God. So I'm not saying you can only ever meet with God in the house of God. But I cannot escape, when I read through Scripture, the importance of gathering together as the people of God in the house of God. 
This is where we experience the presence. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of us kind of go, well, I'll go to church unless something else comes up. I found an insert that a pastor had put into his church newsletter, and I'm kind of tempted to put this into ours for a little season. Uh, he wanted to encourage his church folks, both regulars and, and unregulars, both faithful and unfaithful. Uh, he wanted to encourage his people to make Sunday a no-excuse Sunday and come to church. So, so he put this. He said, cots will be provided in the foyer for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep. Eye drops will be available for those with tired eyes from watching TV too late on Saturday night or perhaps from drinking and partying. There will be steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church and fire extinguishers to those who say I might burst into flames. Blankets will be given to those who think that the church is too cold and fans for those who think that the church is too hot. We will have hearing aids for those who say the minister speaks too softly, which is clearly not your problem. But we will give you cotton for those who say the preacher is too loud. Scorecards will be available to keep track of all the hypocrites present. Some relatives will be in attendance for those who like to go visiting on Sundays. There will be TV dinners provided for those who can't go to church and cook dinner as well. One section of the church will be devoted to trees and grass for those who experience God in nature. Finally, the church will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who've never seen church without them. Like I said, I might need to try and figure out how we can put that into our weekly email. You know, I, I heard somebody say that Worshipping together in church, worshipping in the house of God, doesn't satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. This is why it's so important for us to gather together, to encourage one another, to, to spur one another on. It's that when we come, we worship God. Not at the conclusion of the week so that we can check it off and say, I've done my duty for the week, but no, at the beginning of the week, so that I can launch into the coming week, having spent time in the presence of God, worshiping, filling that hunger and that thirst. So let me ask again, how is your spiritual appetite? I'm hoping that there's a sense of dissatisfaction, a sense of there could be more, that God has more in store for me, that, that Jesus wants to bless me with more, that Jesus wants to give more of himself to you. I'm hoping there's a sense of I yearn for the Holy Spirit to work in me and work through me. I'm hoping there's a sense beginning to stir within you that perhaps my hunger and my thirst is not deep enough. You know, the problem, as Pastor Jennifer pointed out last week, is so many of us are, are so content playing in the proverbial mud pits in the slums that we have no idea what a holiday at the beach even means. This is what God invites us into, into something so much more than we could even begin to imagine. 
Perhaps that needs to just simply be our daily prayer. God, make me hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. That was the Apostle Paul's burning desire. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. I want to know Christ and the fullness of Christ. I want to desire to be holy, not simply happy. I want to carry my own cross instead of trying to avoid it. I want to see those who do not know Christ get to know Him because of His work in my life. I want to restore relationships. I want to serve instead of being served. I want to give away rather than hoard and accumulate. You know, the resolution, the result for Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. He could only say that because he truly understood what Christ had in store for him. Let me close this morning with that question. How is your spiritual appetite? Let's pray together. Jesus, you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who have an all-consuming desire, a desperation a need and a longing for righteousness. And those who have that will be filled. They will experience life like they could not imagine. And so, Jesus, I pray for each one of us that you would stir within us a hunger and a thirst, not just a partial, not just dabbling with cookies, but a desperation and a desire for the whole. So that we would be able to echo Paul's words, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, because in death we gain you and we gain it all. Oh God, stir. Thank you, God, that when you stir a hunger and thirst within us, you fill it and you provide And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.